Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. And let me be the first to say Happy New Year. I know we're a little bit in advance of the new year, uh, but this is the last time we'll be talking to you before the new year. We'll be able to talk to you next year, but not before that beginning of that 2020. This is a special edition of Prophecy Today. We're going to look at the top 10 prophecy news stories in 2019, and there have been a number. I had to just kind of pick and choose to get only 10. All of our broadcast partners will be discussing from their vast reservoir of knowledge of the issues that we focus on with each and every one of them. And then at the end, we'll talk with David James. David is going to help us as we think about why we should study Bible prophecy and then how to approach your study of Bible prophecy. So keep the dial set right where it is. We're going to have a great conversation with each and every one of our broadcast partners. I'm going to be at the Baines Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina this week. Scott Ingram is the pastor inviting everybody to come over. We'll be there all day on Sunday, 11 a.m is the morning service. And then in the evening, we'll meet at 6 for Prophecy Q&A, 6.30. That's the Baines Baptist Church, Burlington, North Carolina. Come join us as we study the prophetic Word of God. Well, Ken, I want to open up this special edition, the top 10 prophecy stories in 2019, with you. And what I thought would probably be very, very key for us to think about is Islam. That faith, which is a major force in our world today. Now, I want you to talk about that, but in your response to me, would you talk about the fact, are they becoming more radical the longer that they are in their position in which they have today? Well, Jimmy, there's good news and bad news in this story. Uh, Islam has been radical for 1,400 years, since uh, the very beginning. Remember, it began with the sword. And it's only rarely that it puts away the sword, that it sheaths the sword. What we've seen over the past year, really, is a shift of the center of Islam, uh, going from Saudi Arabia to Turkey. Saudi Arabia, which has become more pro-Western over the past year with Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, and certainly cracking down on Islamic, uh, political Islam in his country, the jihadi groups that are operating from his country. But the slack has been picked up, Jimmy, by Erdogan in Turkey. Now, remember, Turkey has a huge standing army. They have just invaded northern Syria. They remain, for the time being at least, a NATO ally, although many people are questioning whether they have remained a NATO ally. And Turkey is turning increasingly toward Russia and working in concert with Russia and working uh, in concert with the Iranians. So you have a shift in the balance of power in the Islamic world, if you wish. And I would say, on balance, it is becoming more radical, more aggressive, and we will see uh, more terrorism in 2020, alas. And that radicalization really beginning back in 1979, when the Ayatollah Ali Khomeini came into Iran, made it an Islamic republic. What does that actually mean, Ken? Well, I actually like to call them these days the Islamic State of Iran because there's nothing Republican about their form of government. 
their leader uh, is selected. The president is essentially selected. The members of the majlis of the parliament are selected by the ruling party, by the ruling, if you wish, by the ruler himself, by the supreme leader. It is an Islamic state very similar to what ISIS had instituted in parts of Iraq and Syria from 2014 until 2017, those three years of the ISIS terror regime. Uh, But what it means, Jimmy, is that Iran has lost its nationalist past and adopted this worldwide Islamist movement. They believe that they are the leaders of Islam in the world. Of course, that's being disputed somewhat by Turkey and certainly definitely by Saudi Arabia. Uh, But they are ruled by the Koran. They have a constitution, but that constitution is subjected to Sharia law, which is derived from the Koran and from the Sunnah and, and the life of the Prophet. An Islamic Republic, so to speak, I put it in quotes, is really an Islamic state ruled by Sharia law, which is an a, um, expansionist, uh, totalitarian, uh, all-encompassing worldview. It's not a religion. It is an uh, ideology. Yes, and is Iran somewhat of a prototype for what ultimately the Islamic world would like to do. And we've been watching very closely in every single move that Iran is making in the development of their nuclear weapon of mass destruction moves them to a nuclear-powered state, which would really be dangerous to the world, would it not, Ken? Well, of course it would, and this is something that uh, we all have been watching for a very long time. Remember my book from 2005, Countdown to Crisis, The Coming Nuclear Showdown with Iran, where I describe Iran's then clandestine nuclear weapons program. Now we know much more about it. But this has been probably the longest clandestine nuclear weapons program in history, bar none. The Pakistanis came out earlier. The Indians came out earlier. The Israelis certainly came out earlier. Iran has kept this program just beneath the radar screen for 30-plus years. Recently, this past year, they have made major increases in technology. They have two new generations of centrifuges, which, as I mentioned last week, spin so fast and are so much more efficient Mm -hmm. than what they have had previously that we cannot even speculate to a timeline Mm -hmm. to nuclear weapons capability. They are basically there. Because these centrifuges are so fast, they can essentially make enough weapons-grade material for a nuclear weapon in two to three weeks. So they are right on the cusp of nuclear weapons capability, and the only thing keeping them from it is pressure from the United States and Israel. Russia is a major player in our world today. Others are coming along. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, But uh, since they're such a major force, and in particular in the Middle East, do you think that uh, the pullout by Donald Trump of the United States military from Syria was helpful in any way, creating that vacuum? Or what are your thoughts on that line? Well, it certainly did create a vacuum, objectively speaking. However, uh, let's continue to be objective. We had, at most, on the border between Syria and Turkey, a couple of hundred troops. You do not deter a major force, Turkey, or another major force, Russia, with 200 soldiers. Those soldiers were served basically as a tripwire, and the president said, look, enough is enough. Uh, What are we going to do if Turkey attacks or if Russia attacks? Are we going to 
that unleashed the full weight of the U.S. military against NATO ally, in the case of Turkey, or against Russia and risk a nuclear escalation? And the president said, no, it's not worth it. We do not have a U.S. national security interest in northern Syria. We have friends. The Kurds are our friends. Absolutely true. And we continue to support the Kurds. Uh, we continue to give them weapons. Uh, we continue to make sure they have access to the oil in uh, northwestern, northeastern Syria, excuse me, so they can fund their operation and what they are doing against ISIS and holding the line against Turkey. But we do not, the United States of America, have a national security interest there. And eventually, Jimmy, I think the Russians are going to find this a very expensive proposition, uh, having uh, an occupation of Syria, and they may, may live to regret it. Yeah, they may well do that. But they chose Syria, for example, as the centerpiece of their Middle East policy. They, I'm sure it took into consideration economically what it would cost, but it's a pretty strategic move, isn't it, for the Middle East region? Well, it is. It's right in the center. So Syria is on the Mediterranean and gives access to the hinterland in both Jordan, uh, Saudi Arabia, and Iraq. So it is a very it's a crossroads area. And one sign of that crossroads, Jimmy, are the competing oil and gas pipeline projects going through Syria. One which is uh, sponsored and approved by Russia, and another one which is not, which is approved by the United States. So I am uh, willing to predict that if the Russians manage to impose stability in northern Syria, they will start this year building that pipeline with Iran coming through Syria to the Mediterranean. Let me ask one final question. We don't have much time left to discuss it, but Russia is key, and we've just talked about that. They're very evident that that is the case. However, China is not a sleeping giant. They're a giant, and they seem like they want to get into the action in the Middle East as well. What are your thoughts? Well, just two weeks ago, Jimmy, you had a top U.S. admiral stating publicly that the Chinese now have naval capabilities they had never had before. They are now a threat to U.S. warships, and they have new generations of missiles that are on these ships, including hypersonic missiles, that are very difficult to detect. Just this week, Russia, China, and Iran began naval exercises starting from the Iranian port of Chabahar, which is outside the Strait of Hormuz in the Indian Ocean. Now, some people say, well, it's not significant. They can't harm the United States. It's true, yes. But these three countries are now starting to work together militarily for the first time, and that I think, is going to be a huge development in the year to come. Well, I would have to agree with that. And, uh, of course, the reason I agree is that's what the prophetic word of God has to say. Russia, China, and Iran, major players in the end-time scenario found in God's word. You understand, after listening to this conversation that I've had with Ken, why we always want to have him at this broadcast table. He's key in his analysis of the geopolitical activities happening around the world. Ken, thank you so very much, my good friend, and a happy new year to you. We'll talk to you again next year. Thanks so much, Jimmy. I look forward to it. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got his Middle East news update on this special edition of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today. 
The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. This is Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. Right after the program, we head over to Burlington, North Carolina. We'll be at the Baines Baptist Church, Pastor Scott Ingram. He's inviting everybody for a two-day prophecy conference all day Sunday, 11 o'clock in the morning. The services starting with Prophecy Q&A at 6 p.m. in the evening and at 6.30. We'll spend time studying the prophetic Word of God. On Monday evening, the same schedule, 6 o'clock for Prophecy Q&A. 6.30, we will study the prophetic Word of God. That's the Baines Baptist Church, Burlington, North Carolina. Looking forward to seeing you in this last week before New Year, the 2020th year in all of history. A special program today, we're looking at the top 10 prophecy stories of 2019 with our broadcast partners. David Dolan, who is covering the Middle East for us, he's done it for over 35 years, is key because that's a key region of the world as we look at the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. And David, we're just using all the broadcast partners to talk about the different stories. I wanted to focus with you, if we could, on two basic items. Well, maybe three, if we have the time. Uh, The preparations to build that third temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the third election coming up, and then we'll discuss any of the main enemies for the Jewish state, if uh, you can give us a list of those. I'm sure that's going to be really easy for you to do. But let me begin with this. For years, Jews have been preparing to build this temple. It's over 20, almost 25 years they've been going at this, isn't it? 
Well, yes, and uh, even before that, Jimmy, when I first went to Israel in 1980, which is well over 30 years, there was, well, almost 40 years ago now, actually, there was already talk of it, at least, and people, you know, expressing their desire to one day see the temple rebuilt. But yes, uh, as the years have gone on, the actual activities to make that happen have increased substantially. We now have a sitting Sanhedrin, which, by the way, Jimmy, uh, this evening in Jerusalem, they're lighting the final candle of Hanukkah, and they have representatives of 70 different righteous nations there. They're going to do it on Mount Zion, and uh, they're proclaiming that judgment is coming to the earth, basically, that the 70 righteous nations, as they put it, are being opposed by the 70 dark nations that are opposing righteousness on earth, and that a showdown with Edom, as they call it, which is basically Islam, is coming. And uh, basically, they're predicting conflict ahead. But the Sanhedrin's been reconstituted. We have all the preparations. We have uh, uh, red heifers being produced in purity. Uh, the oil, by the way, in that menorah that's being lit is temple ready. It's been purified according to the biblical precepts so that it could be used in a new temple at any moment, actually. And many other things have gone on. We've talked about the fact that Jews are praying up on the Temple Mount in record numbers over the past few years that the Israeli police are more or less looking the other way and not preventing that. Why would they prevent it all? Well, of course, the status quo agreement, as it's called, between Jordan and Israel was that Israel would uh, be overall in control of the Temple Mount since 67, but that Islam would still reign supreme on it. But that's been eroding, and of course, clashes taking place. Many indications that something big is happening, and of course, uh, the average Israeli is just watching, but Orthodox Jews in particular, very eager to see a temple return to their holiest site on earth. And uh, as I said, the preparations are ongoing. And many of the Orthodox Jewish leaders who are working very importantly on all of those preparations are the ones who are really going up on the Temple Mount, starting and returning prayer to the Temple Mount as a part of a training process for the Jewish people. So they'll know how to pray when the temple does stand there, a key component of temple worship. Uh, David, as you look at the body politic, the people of Israel, is there a desire that is growing to have the temple up on the Temple Mount, do you believe? Well, Jimmy, there's a, a pretty deep division in the country. You have the, oh, I would say secular, they're Jews, but fairly secular majority. That's about 65% of the population that normally doesn't go to synagogue. They only do on the holy days, and a lot of them don't even do that. A third of the Israelis will eat pork, for instance, and other things that are not considered Orthodox Judaism at all. But a growing number, it's about a third to maybe 40% of the people are religious, and most of them certainly would love to see a temple back on the Temple Mount. They have not had one for over two, nearly 2,000 years since the Romans came in and destroyed the Second Temple a couple decades after the Lord was crucified and rose from the dead in Jerusalem. And all that time they've had to do with synagogues, uh, the synagogues pointing towards Jerusalem, wherever they are on earth, and Jews that pray, uh, pray facing Jerusalem, wherever they are on earth. 
So the centrality of the city and of the Temple Mount to their faith has never changed. It's never diminished just the realities of what they could do uh, in terms of having a temple, building it, maintaining it. Well, of course, there was no Jewish state for most of that time, the last 2,000 years. Now there is. Since 67, it controls East Jerusalem, and it's been led for the past few years by a right-wing coalition that contains, as you mentioned, politicians and religious leaders that very much want to see the temple rebuilt. So it's a growing feeling in Israel, but I would say there's still a majority of Israelis that are not so sure about it or don't expect it, but they're watching, like everybody else, the moves towards it, and uh, whether in awe or in consternation, they're watching it either way. You know, I would have to say the number one sign today, people ask me when I'm traveling and speaking, what do you believe the number one sign for the return of Christ is? And I have to say preparation to build that next temple. I think before that is the Jews returning to the land. But they're in the land, and as we've, the whole world, in fact, has watched over this last year, they've tried to elect a prime minister. I'm telling you, it's almost become comical. If it wasn't so sad, it would be comical. Uh, but earlier this week, I think it was Thursday, Benjamin Netanyahu was able to win his primary against one of his Likud members, and he did it just running away, it seems like. But they're still facing that third election. Now, we're going to talk with Winky Madad about much of that and all the details, but, boy, this is really something else. A third election in one year, boy, it's encouraging the enemies of Israel, is it not? Well, it is, Jimmy. It's a political stalemate. It's gone on for over a year now. But as you say, Netanyahu won what the press is calling a landslide victory, uh, 72.5% of the uh, Likud voters that came out for the primary. About half of the registered voters did come out, which was about 60,000 people. That and a heavy rainstorm, Jimmy, that also dumped a lot of snow in the north. But uh, Gidon Sa'ar, Gideon Sa'ar, the opponent, a former education minister, he only got 27.5%. So it was a resounding endorsement of Netanyahu by his party members, his core party members, and it certainly will help him to continue to lead the party in the upcoming elections on March 2nd, but whether it will be enough for them to pick up enough new mandates to form a new government is anybody's question, and it still looks like we could have stalemate after the next election as well. Of course, three uh, criminal charges against the prime minister still pending. That's been a distraction, to say the least, and it's been the excuse that the opposition leader, Benny Gantz, has given for not forming a unity government with Netanyahu. But something's going to have to give at some point, Jimmy. They certainly can't have a fourth election in just a year and a half, but... Um, uh, Netanyahu is back, firmly in control of his party, at least, and we'll see how that affects the actual election. We have about uh, 35, 40 seconds, if you will, David. Talk to me about uh, the possibility of this unstable government there in Israel encouraging the enemies. Who would be the main enemies as we look to 2020 of the Jewish state? Well, Jimmy, as you said, it's kind of easy. It's Iran and its proxy forces in Lebanon and the Palestinians, uh, Yemen and other places, Shiite forces. That's definitely the biggest enemy. And Netanyahu, in his victory speech, said that Israel is prepared to defeat Iran, was the words he used. 
if it has to, implying that he sees war coming. And most analysts do think a final showdown, a major showdown, is coming with Iran and its allies at some point, and probably it's looking sooner than later. Well, and that's exactly what God's Word says. When I was talking with Ken Timmerman earlier, I had to conclude with what God's Word does say, and we were discussing a particular subject. It's what the Bible has to say about the future that's going to be reality and seemingly very, very soon now. David, have a happy new year, and praise the Lord for this last year. Looking forward to having conversations with you in 2020. We'll continue to cover the Middle East. Thank you so much, friend. A blessed new year to you too, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad is standing by. We'll talk about the elections and Hanukkah. All ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. We're here at Broadcast Central. This will be the last program of this year, 2019. In fact, this is our special edition, the top 10 prophecy stories in 2019. As you already know, we're going to our broadcast partners to give their reflections on the stories that we pretty much believe would be the top 10 prophecy stories in this last year. Now, next week, I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do. We may look ahead, although none of us are prophets nor sons of prophets, but we may be able to speculate about some of the things that will happen in the future. Absolutely. We know what God's Word has to say, so those are absolute prophecies that we can tell you about and see how current events are fitting into them. We're going to go to Winky Madad in just a moment. He's in Israel, and he is in Shiloh, and we're going to talk to him. A very historic and very biblical location. We'll get to him in a moment. Let me remind you that this weekend, all day Sunday, we're going to be at the Baines Baptist Church. We're going to be there with Scott Ingram. He is the pastor inviting everybody to come over. We'll be all day Sunday and then Monday evening. It's the Baines Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. Well, as promised, let's go to Winky Madad. Winky, I know we've recently talked about this third election within the one-year period of time. We're talking about 12 months, not all in 2019, but started April the 9th, 2019, 
And then on March the 2nd, 2020, we'll have the third within one year of these elections in the nation of Israel. Now, it seems to me that it's historic. I don't believe it's ever happened in Israel. Has it? Do you know of any other nation that has had three of these elections in one year? I am not sure, Jimmy. Uh, I know that Italy has had multiple elections over a short period of time, but I don't know whether it's within a 12-month period. And again, it's a problem that is two-headed, shall we say. Number one is that basically the voting electorate consistently voted twice with very few changes for the parties they had voted for previously. Democracy is the will of the people. And if the people are not willing to give one party or one block of parties a strong enough showing in the Knesset, those parties are, shall we say, uh, handicapped in their ability uh, to set up a coalition government because no one gets the 61 votes majority that you need uh, to set up a, a government in Israel. The second part, of course, is that especially one party, that of Avigdor Lieberman, which is what we generally call the Russian party, has been adamant in not joining either Likud, who has, he has been in coalition before, or the other blue and white list. Uh, so him standing outside the circle is not allowing anybody to move any forward. So uh, hopefully, and I can, as you just heard you say about prophets or sons of prophets, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen in March, but I just hope some amount of people, about 150,000, I think, would change their mind and give one of the lists the necessary plurality to get things moving again. Winky, is that reality, or could it possibly be the same again? I would go with same again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't think either of the parties have been sufficiently successful in laying out a good enough reason for the population to change their vote. I don't know if uh, Mr. Netanyahu has the ability to drum up the normal support that he has, which he's been very successful in previous elections, of moving the center vote of people who are what we call in Israel undecided. In other words, they lean right, but they're not quite sure, and they don't like too much of a left to move them, and he hasn't, he hasn't done that successfully, even though uh, he has reached 34, 35 seats, which is nothing, as we say in the States, though I presume nothing to sneeze at. The other large party, the Blue and White, also is around 35 or so, and there, there's a standoff, as we say. I mean, I, I remember uh, watching Western movies as a child where there's a standoff in the corral or in the main street of the town, but... This is a country of uh, 8 million people, and we need to get a government in place. Well, Winky, I know that uh, there was a primary, and it looks like Netanyahu easily defeated his opponent. That will then not change anything either, or will that opponent actually come out against him after the primary is over? No, I don't think that the loss of Gidon Saar will cause him to uh, leave that he could or even continued to fight him until the next primary. Whether or not it was a wise move on his part at this moment, I would say is very debatable, because, number one, I think he ruined his chances for the next time, 
because people viewing Bibi as persecuted and run after by the media and the legal regime that we have here, etc., will say that you actually hurt Netanyahu's chances in in the upcoming election by falling in with uh, the message that Bibi has to go, no matter why, even if he's not guilty or proven to be guilty. So I don't think it was a wise move or a good move in the end for Mr. Netanyahu, but that's the way things go. It's a free country. You can run for office within parties uh, or in within the Knesset elections or general elections, and uh, I would preserve that right and that freedom more than anything else. Winky, talk to me about Netanyahu's indictment. Did that cause him a real problem? Was that maybe the reason for all of these elections and a possible defeat of Likud down the road? I am not sure, and I would probably answer no. It doesn't give him good press or reflection in the media stories. But he, in twice in the elections, has pulled somewhere in the neighborhood of about 34, 35 or so seats, which is a large number and has matched numbers that he had uh, in the past and even overcome some of them. So his public position or his public reflection or how his image, shall I use better, was not hurt by these indictments. What hurt him was the fact that the blue and white said, we're not going to go into government with a prime minister who's been indicted, Uh, even though the law doesn't say anything about that. In fact, the law says a serving prime minister cannot be taken out of office unless the trial is finished, including the various appeals. And I think we mentioned this on the program before, that could take up to two years at least in these cases. So, no, I, I don't think so. It, it, it gives him a bad image in the media, and, and it allows other parties to stand off, but it doesn't hurt him as, as the leading candidate for the Likud. And ultimately, he could be proven not guilty. He says he's not guilty, couldn't he? Absolutely. We've had, uh, off the top of my head, that I can remember at least three ministers who were indicted and not found guilty. Some were, but three others I know were not, yet they had to yield up their ministerial positions, and they could never come back because things move on. I mean, you know, someone replaced them. The trial took place over a year to two years, and, you know, you can't wind back the clock sometimes, especially in politics. Well, we're going to have to wait to see what the result's going to be for the third election. Whoever the different candidates may be, We'll stay on top of the story, of course, with Winky Madat. Winky, I'm sorry I did not open our conversation with Chak Sameach, which is the greeting for a high holy day. Uh, but the the eight days of Hanukkah and the candle lighting on each of those eight days is very special to the Jewish people. Just one final question. Any connection at all to the rebuilding of the temple with this special Jewish holy day? Uh, Jimmy... Of course there is, and there was like a bit of a joke here in Israel, I presume in other places in the Jewish world, when Rashida Taleb and Ilan, Ilhan Omar came out greeting the Jewish communities uh, for the holiday of Hanukkah, probably not realizing that the holiday is a celebrates a war of liberation against an oppressor of the Jewish people, where all the major battles took place in areas of Judea and Samaria, which they view as occupied, 
and ended up by rededicating uh, the altar, the temple, and lighting up the candelabrum that was in the temple, which today would be seen as, for them anyway, way out of their politics. Mm. So it's good to remind people that Hanukkah is not only a holiday of lighting lights, but those lights represent what we think are the inherent values of Judaism, which is our Torah, our, our religious instruction book, shall I call it, and the temple, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to celebrate the holiday in its full meaning in the not-too-distant future. Well, that's what the prophetic word of God has to say, so we know that is an absolute. And uh, by the way, Chak to you and your family, and thank you so very much for all of your time allowing us to talk to you about some very important issues as it relates to Israel and the Jewish people. Hope we'll be able to do that much of 2020, and that will be an exciting time as well. Thank you so much, Winky. Haksameyak. Jimmy, thank you very much, and I wish all the listeners here well and joy over your festival season, and thank you very much for having me again on the program. Very important information from Winky Madad. That has to be the number one political story in Israel. Uh, the third election is actually going to come up in 2020 on March the 2nd. But it is the third election in a 12-month period of time. Number one political story. Number one prophetic story as well. A good friend of us here on Prophecy Today is Itamar Marcus. He's the director of Powwatch. Powwatch.org is their address on the Internet. And he and his team monitor all of the communications coming from the Palestinian people, Palestinian media, both electronic and print media. And we thought if we're going to conclude the year looking at the prophetic stories in 2019, we'd have to have Itamar talk about what is going on. And Itamar, I'm going to bring in one story, a very interesting evidence of the power that you have in monitoring the Palestinian media. It's dealing with the monies paid to the terrorists. We'll get to that in a moment. But let's just think back with our friends just for a moment or two. How did the Palestinian media get its go-ahead for this operation of both the print and the electronic media? The Palestinian media is the result of the Oslo Accords. It's uh, with permission of Israel, and the media was supposed to be something that was to enable them to create the institutions of a state. It was not supposed to be a source for promoting hatred, terror, and violence. And that's exactly what it's turned into. And when we think about the Palestinian media, are we talking about media that is focused and directed towards all age groups, the young people, the adults, the elderly? Exactly. The one main Palestinian Authority station has different times that are set aside programming for adults as well as for children. So you'll have programming for adults of sermons on a Friday. You'll have talk shows. You'll have news programming. But you also have children's programming, which are some of the most problematic things we find in the Palestinian official media. Now, when you say it's troubling, uh, almost uh, dangerous for the children to be hearing some of this programming, describe what you're talking about. How do they use it? Well, the children are very often reciting poems where they're taught to aspire to be martyrs, aspire to shoot, 
aspired to grab a gun, very violent, and not only violent against Israelis and Jews, but violence against themselves. My blood is for you, things like this. These are, these are all expressions we've heard in the last few months on official Palestinian television from children on children's program, and then the moderator will, of course, after they recite these poems about how much they want to be martyrs, the moderator will say, bravo, bravo, as if this is a valid message. One of the worst messages ever we heard recently on Fatah's Facebook page. Now, Fatah is the movement that belongs to Mahmoud Abbas, who heads the Palestinian Authority. And on their Facebook page, they had a little tale which was recited by a little girl in which a mother tells her son literally the following, you are ammunition, you were meant for martyrdom. This is a, a mother telling her son, in fact, the full sentence was, our weapon is Islam, and you, my son, are the ammunition, you are meant for martyrdom. It's a horrific statement. No child should ever think that his parent, his mother, thinks that he is merely ammunition, he's merely a means to an end, he has no value in and of himself. You know, Itamar, we recently had all of our family together for Christmas time, and I had a video, a cartoon-type video, that was telling the Christmas story for the Christian community, of course, and I was noticing we had all the age group, I'm almost 80 years of age, and our youngest little grandson is only about, well, less than two years of age. But we put on this video, and the children were focused. I mean, razor-focused on what was being communicated. And one of our little granddaughters just jumped up and warned everybody else about something that was going to happen tragically. I'm telling you this because of the fact that this is an unbelievable way to communicate, and you were just talking about how what they're doing in the programming to the children. This is so effective, making that generation yet to come be ready to continue the struggle should it not be completed by the time they grow up. We once saw a cartoon. Actually, it was a whole series that ran for an entire month. It was a cartoon, an animated story, and it was a story of the beginning of Islam, and there's this there are a couple of ugly Satans, literally, images of Satan, red Satan, the whole thing with the flames of fire around them and everything, and Satan is trying to destroy Muhammad and Islam. And who do you think Satan takes as his partner? In this cartoon series, Satan takes the Jews mm. as his partner. And he even has a quote, one of the quotes which I show often to members of parliament around the world, the quote that Satan says, I've built my plan against Muhammad by the hatred that the Jews have for Muhammad. Mm. Now, you've got this ugly Satan, and he's telling children uh, in this program that his plan, that his partners in destroying Muhammad and Islam is, are going to be the Jews, because they hate him. We all know that in, in Islam, if you, if you even draw a picture of Muhammad, it's a capital crime. And how many Christians do we know who have been killed around the world for insulting Muhammad or drawing a picture of Muhammad? by Muslims, because they say it's a capital crime. Well, here the little children are learning that the Jews wanted to destroy him because they have hatred in their hearts. So how are those Palestinian children ever going to be able to be at peace with their neighbors if they believe that their neighbors, the Jews, are the ones who tried to destroy Muhammad? Itamar, I would think it goes without saying, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Is the Palestinian media being used to incite the adults to terrorism and to kill the Jews? Definitely. I'll give you a, the, the Fatah, again, go to Fatah's Facebook page just a few months ago, had 
sort of a mini-documentary on what the Jews are all about, and it talked about the Jews are planning to destroy humanity, uh, not destroy, to subjugate humanity. The Jews worked together with the Nazis for profit. Then it even said that the Jews built ghettos in Europe mm. so that they wouldn't have to live amongst the non-Jews because the Jews felt superior to the non-Jews. Now, of course, that's turning history on its head. The Jews were put in ghettos by some of the non-Jews who didn't want them to live amongst them. Or they turned it upside down, and then they said that the Jews in these ghettos schemed to subjugate all humanity, and that was the cause of anti-Semitism. Wow. Wow. Exactly. Media is being used to not only train up little children to be murderers and to hate the Jews and to incite then the adults as well, In America, we have the FCC, and for many years I manage Christian radio stations, so I know the relationship between the FCC and the broadcast operations here in America. Is there any type of regulatory agency over the Palestinian media? No, not only that. The Palestinian media is completely controlled uh, by the Palestinian Authority. The person who runs Palestinian television, for example, is appointed by Mahmoud Abbas, Uh, He's been interviewed on television and has said numerous times that the official Palestinian media is part of the uh, struggle against Israel, part of the campaign against Israel. So it's, it's not a media in the free sense at all. It's intended for exactly what it's doing. It's intended to promote hatred, and at times it literally is, is right there promoting terrorism as well. And what a service Zidamar and his team offer to, in fact, the entire world, telling all of us what the truth is in what they are saying through their media operation. Well, let me just conclude our conversation, Zidamar, with one perfect example of how you have been and your team so effective. I understand because of your reporting, because of your telling the truth about what the Palestinian media is saying, Uh, There is going to be some different change as it relates to salaries given to those terrorists who are in jail to pay for their lifestyle and their families, etc. And they haven't even been paying taxes. Tell us about that story as we conclude our conversation. Every terrorist who gets put in an Israeli jail immediately starts receiving a salary from the Palestinian Authority. They're very high salaries. They can reach, if the terrorist is in jail long enough, they can reach more than three times the average Palestinian salary. Now, they don't only give this to Palestinian terrorists, they give this to Israeli Arab terrorists who attacked Jews as well, who attacked Israelis. Now, what did we discover? We, we discovered that not only are they getting this money, it's illegal for them as Israeli citizens to receive money for terrorism. And in addition... They should be paying taxes in this money because these are monthly salaries. So last week, we announced this story, and we called on the government to confiscate, uh, literally, these bank accounts of these Israeli Arab terrorists and their families because they're receiving money for being terrorists. And it literally only took two days. Two days later, the defense minister of Mm -hmm. Israel uh, announced that they were freezing uh, the bank accounts of a whole list of uh, Israeli Arab terrorists in order to confiscate the the money that they received as a reward for terror. Wow. See, the effect of having a Palestinian media watch, watching, looking at, listening to, reading the print media, and seeing exactly what these leaders of the Palestinian people are saying to the people, even to the children. 
Well, Itamar, thank you for the service itself of all of your entire team. We so appreciate your availability to us so we can get this information across the United States as well. By the way, Chag Sameach during this time of Hanukkah. Thank you so much, and uh, wishing you and, and, and all your listeners a great holiday season as well. Very interesting conversation with Itamar Marcus, looking at the Palestinian media. Well, we're going to switch from that Middle Eastern region, which is key in understanding Bible prophecy, to probably the second most important location on the earth as it relates to the future. Prophetic implications coming from, of course, the fact that the European Union is most likely the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. And John Rood's our guy who covers that. John, did you and your family have a good Christmas? Excellent Christmas, yes, uh, in Ohio this year. Well, praise the Lord. Appreciate you covering the European Union and all of those activities this year. In fact, as we conclude our last broadcast here in 2019, we're looking back in this special edition of Prophecy Today, the top 10 prophecy stories in 2019. And the number one story, of course, has to be Brexit there in the European Union. Can we say that Brexit is a foregone conclusion as far as Great Britain is concerned, John? Yes, for now, it it actually has been passed by the Parliament by a 120-vote majority. So the U.K. is definitely slated to leave the European Union on January 31st. And so the challenge now is the uh, transition period that goes until the end of next year. And so there's a trading relationship that needs to be established. But notice that so much talk of the chaos of Brexit and everything would fall apart. It was a little bit like Y2K. It was a, a scare tactic. The withdrawal agreement is in, and so now they're focusing on trade and other agreements. John, do you think that this Brexit of Great Britain is going to be a motivator. Will other European Union member states move to withdraw as well? Well, yes. We, you know, we've discussed how the EU is so very tough on the United Kingdom because the the effect was to dissuade other nations. But the fact is, the EU, as we know it, it's it's in a decline and it's going into a reinvention process. So you can be certain that there will be changes to discourage other countries from leaving, but the stresses are so great, the politics, the euro, national sovereignty, immigration. And so expect now, even though other countries will have more of a momentum to leave, the EU reaction will be to consolidate power and make it more difficult in the face of Brexit. Now, you mentioned a couple of reasons why they may consider Is that really the bottom line? Why do these other nations consider withdrawing from the European Union? What's their main reason? Right. We see all the stresses that push and pull on the EU member nations, but it all comes down, Jimmy, really to one word, super state. Uh And national sovereignty was the main issue. But in the United Kingdom, the whole momentum to leave was by delivering the economic uh, circumstances, how much money they could save. Then it turned back to national sovereignty again and about getting control of a nation's future. So the European project, as we know it, is, has 
been a failure. The EU is inflexible. Federalism is the only thing that supported. Any nationalism is seen as a hindrance. And so the main reason definitely is super state. Well, you and I have, in this conversation, talked about the possibility. You have 28 member states now. The European Union is going to be minus one this next year. Great Britain, that leaves 27. You've mentioned that there are 17 other member states thinking about withdrawing, and that would, of course, leave 10, which is the magic number, according to Bible prophecy. You still think along that same line? Well, we are in the decline of the EU, so we're going to see more nations kick out, whatever that time frame may be. I don't think there's any accessions that will happen immediately. Yes, we're in a decline, and so we're going to, if anything, uh, it'll be one step forward, two steps backwards. Yes, we will eventually come to 10, and there are a number of hindrances and stresses in these member nations. 17 already are showing strong signs. Very interesting observation by John Rood, the man who covers the European Union. That magic number of 10 found in the book of Daniel chapter 2 and also in chapter 7. And John and I will stay on top of this throughout this coming year. John, thank you so very much. And, and if I don't talk to you before, Happy New Year, my good friend. Thank you. Happy New Year to everyone. Well, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, I've got David James standing by. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central Chattanooga, Tennessee, Right after the program, we head over to Burlington, North Carolina. We'll be at the Baines Baptist Church there. Pastor Scott Ingram is inviting everybody to a two-day prophecy conference. I think it's key at the end of the year to look at the prophetic scenario as we look into the future of 2020. All Day Sunday will begin at 11 a.m. for the morning service, and then in the evening at 6 o'clock for Prophecy Q&A, we'll study the Word of God from 6.30 on, and the same thing on Monday evening. That's the Baines Baptist Church there in Burlington, North Carolina. We'll see you there to study Bible prophecy in the last Sunday of this year. I want you to answer my poll question. It's on my website, prophecytoday.com. On the home page, scroll down on the left-hand column. Here's the question. As we look at the top 10 prophecy news stories, do you believe that we are very close to the next event on God's calendar of prophetic events? And, of course, that would be the rapture. Answer that question. I believe that maybe it could even happen today, but I want to see what your answer is. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. I want to take just a moment, if you'll allow me, to talk about several different ways which Prophecy Today is seeking to grow and increase our exposure to reach new people with the truth of God's prophetic word. You know, many of you are listening to me right now on our network of Christian radio stations around the world. But some of you may be hearing this through our online radio station, which can be accessed from our front page of prophecytoday.com, or some of you may be listening via podcast. 
These are new and exciting ways to reach new audiences. However, there's another avenue that we have recently started using, and it's by posting a selected number of our videos to Amazon Prime and their streaming service. If you are a member of Amazon Prime, there are several of our videos that you can access for free. As you can imagine, there are some that appreciate these services, and there are some that use it for an opportunity to attack our teaching on Bible prophecy by posting negative and often dishonest reviews. I don't want to individually try to address these reviews, but I would say that if you are a regular listener or a viewer of our content through podcast or through Amazon Prime, we'd love for you to post a review. You know, posting reviews, especially positive ones, help to drive search results which increase our exposure and allows new audiences to hear this valuable information. Let me thank you, and I hope and pray that you enjoy our programming, both audio and video. And do consider, if you will, end-of-the-year giving for the ministry Prophecy Today. We now bring to these microphones David James, you know, I've been discussing with our broadcast partners today the top stories, prophetically speaking, in 2019. And as David and I are together this one last time in 2019, I wanted to give some perspective about handling the prophetic scriptures, especially when thinking about current events. Let's start the discussion, David. Sure. Well, I trust you had a wonderful Christmas with your family, and you're also looking to a new year full of ministry as the Lord allows. To get to your question, well, Jimmy, you and I have both heard a lot of prophecy teachers, some very good and some not so good, and probably too many who try to be sensationalistic, especially when it comes to trying to connect current events with biblical prophecy. You know, when I was a kid, I always loved to get connected dot books for Christmas, and you would just connect all the dots in the right order to get a big picture. But unfortunately, I think too many people try to do something similar by connecting dots from today's headlines to whatever they think might be the right dots in the Word of God. And if those dots aren't intended to be connected by God, then the prophetic picture or timeline or whatever usually ends up being a mess A little resembles what we find in the Bible. And this usually results in a lot of confusion and failed predictions, and that can end up discouraging believers from trying to study and understand Bible prophecy for themselves. And, David, that's a great thought. Uh, by the way, excuse me for not saying I hope you had a Merry Christmas. Our family had a great time, 22 of us together, and I hope that uh, your family had as such a time as well. And the best in what we're praying for you in 2020 as well. One thing, you know, we're trying to avoid when discussing current events with our guest is making the mistake of trying to predict how and when certain biblical prophecies are going to be fulfilled based on the latest headline. Well, you know, these kinds of connected-dot prophetic scenarios often involve geopolitical events or technological advancements, but things surrounding the second coming of Christ tend to get the most attention. For example, even back in the mid-second century, a heretical group was predicting the uh, return of Christ in their lifetimes. Uh, some Anabaptists predicted the millennial reign of Christ would begin in the 1500s with the New Jerusalem being set up in Germany. Back in the 1800s, uh, William Miller 
Noah predicted that Christ would return in March of 1844 and then again in the next month. During World War One, some in the Assemblies of God predicted that that was a preliminary war to Armageddon. The founder of Jehovah's Witnesses predicted Christ's second coming in 1874. And of course, there was a book that famously gave 88 reasons why the rapture would take place in 1988. Uh, Harold Camping gave two different dates in 2011, and just a few years ago, in 2015, a Hebrew Roots pastor that you and I have discussed was suggesting the tribulation could begin with the last in a series of four total lunar eclipses. So this is fairly common, and we don't want to do that. Yes, absolutely. Here on Prophecy Today, we stay away from date setting. But it is interesting to watch current events that seem to parallel biblical prophecy. So there's a difference between date setting and stage setting when it comes to prophecy. You're right, Jimmy. You know, back in the day, I used to play a lot of chess, and I think this analogy is helpful. You know, the rules of chess are simple enough they can be learned in just a few minutes, but getting good at the game is very difficult because things get complicated very quickly. For example, there are only 20 possible opening moves, but after both sides have moved just twice, there are almost 200,000 different ways the game can be played out. And after just three moves, there are over 120 million possible outcomes for the game. And my point is this, for every event that takes place on the world stage, there are dozens of possible contingencies, most that can't be predicted ahead of time. So if someone knows the Word of God and keeps an eye on current events, Events, we can sometimes begin to see things being set up for a particular end game, just as someone who knows chess can th- see things heading in a certain direction. But things can still change in any number of ways because of unforeseen moves, even to get to the same outcome. So uh, when it comes to prophecy, we can see the trend, we can see the stage setting, we can know where all this is going, but we don't know exactly how we're going to get there, and we must be careful about saying, this must be that. Mm. David, uh, I didn't know that about your history. A chess player, huh? Do remind me never to play chess with you, will you? Hey, what are some of the steps that believers should take to avoid the kinds of mistakes in Bible study that lead to these wrong interpretations? And, of course, that becomes very embarrassing. The results are embarrassing to all of us when these things don't turn out like we've predicted. Well, for those who've been listening to us for any length of time, uh, they can probably already guess many of the things I'm going to mention, but uh, it never hurts to be reminded, and I'm sure we also have new listeners as well. The first is that we accept that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and that being the case, it needs to be taken seriously, and it can be expected to communicate truth with clarity about the past, present, and the future. Furthermore, God is both eternal and sovereign, meaning that He's in completely in control, and what he says will come to pass, and it will happen with certainty and precision. In other words, prophecy will always be fulfilled literally, even when described figuratively and exactly according to the timetable that God has set forth in his mind. Now, from our side, for for us to make sense of all this, we, we must consistently use standard principles of communication and interpretation. In other words, we must carefully study the literary context, which means looking at 
of the grammar, syntax, and vocabulary of the biblical text, uh, while taking into account the historical context, such as the geopolitical situation at the time of the writing, the economic and cultural situation, and, and other historical factors that were understood by both the writer and his recipients. David, one of the biggest stories of the year, prophetically as we're talking about it, has been Great Britain's exit from the European Union, or Brexit as they call it. Let's take a moment and think about how to find the right balance when studying the Bible and looking at this current event, for example. Well, as we apply these principles in considering the ongoing stories surrounding the European Union and Brexit, how will this will play out, we know from Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2 of his book, there would be four major empires that would follow, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and finally the Roman Empire, with some form of an extension of the Roman Empire in the last days. Now, last century, prophecy watchers began to look at things like the Treaty of Rome in 1957, leading to the European Economic Community, and ultimately a European flag was being used in 1986, and it seemed like every Bible teacher was trying to make sense of how current events were stacking up against biblical prophecies. But since then, the number of countries in the European Union were being uh, have changed. Uh, the adoption of uh, the euro as a regional currency has not been what they thought it would be. Uh, Date-setting fever was rampant, and prediction after prediction failed. Yet, with the Bible in hand, if we're cautious in connecting dots, we can easily visualize how the prophecies of Daniel will ultimately be fulfilled exactly as God has said, without us getting ahead of the game and trying to predict exactly God's next move and how this game is going to play out move after move. David, another set of important geopolitical developments involves a combination of countries in the Middle East, that alignment of nations, and Islam's increasing threat in the world, with Russia's involvement thrown in on top of that as well. Well, again, there's what we see happening every day and what we know will ultimately happen when biblical prophecy is fulfilled. Now, let me just say one thing about the way biblical prophecy will play out in the end. We know for sure there are some things coming with absolute certainty, and there are some things about which we know nothing. For example, in Revelation 10, John heard uh, seven thunders, and he was not allowed to write what is coming during that 70th week of Daniel. So even those who are living in that time, there are going to be things coming that they won't see. But to get to your point, the geopolitical players in the Middle East, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, we read about a war that involves a coalition of nations. And this coalition of nations was prophesied to come together over a millennium before they became united by the religion of Islam. And according to Ezekiel, this coalition will be gathered together by a powerful leader from the north to come against the nation of Israel. And it doesn't really take much imagination to see that stage being set on a daily basis and have a sense of increased urgency to understand the Word of God correctly and understand prophecy and to study it. There's a reason to do it. Folks, you may want to re-listen to this conversation I had with David because we want you to study Bible prophecy. It's a key part of your study program of the Word of God, but we want you to do it properly. And uh, David and I remind ourselves each and every day, and in fact, even with this conversation, we need to be studying the Word of God with the proper approach to it. 
David, thank you so much. That was great. I think uh, it just tops off what our discussion has been as we've looked at the major prophetic news stories through 2019. And uh, I want to tell you, buddy, Happy New Year's. We'll talk to you next year with another conversation. Thanks so much, Jimmy. I look forward to it. Great conversation with David James. And I want you to pay attention as to how you should approach a study of the prophetic Word of God. Here at Prophecy Today, we endeavor to look at what God's Word says. It's not current events that drives our understanding of Bible prophecy. It's the Word of God. So take God's Word seriously. Let's look into the future to see what God has planned and how it is going to play out. Let me just say one more time, if you're prayerfully considering some end-of-the-year giving, We would love for you to put on that list Prophecy Today. We are concluding our year pretty well, but we do need some more support financially in order to make it a clear cut in 2019. We're going to have to take a break, and when I come back, I'll take a look at the book. It's right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today weekend, our broadcast partners talked with me about the top 10 Prophecy News Stories in 2019. As we've looked back over 2019, this has been a year with many news stories that seem to have been setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. 
Remember, it's not the current events that drive our understanding of Bible prophecy, but instead the prophetic word of God that is found in the Bible. I want to take a moment to remind you of what our broadcast partners reported, and then I want to give my prophetic perspective on these stories. And by the way, if you missed any of the conversations, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you can listen to any and all of these excellent reports. And be sure to tell a friend they need to hear this information about the prophetic truth of God's Word and what is coming very soon to this world. Ken Timmerman, who covers geopolitical activities around the world, talked about a number of issues with me. The bottom line, the main players, Iran, Russia, and China, were in the discussion that Ken and I had. They're going to have a joint military exercise in just a couple of days. This is indication of the prophetic scenario that goes along with each of these players in the future and how they will come together to try to wipe out the Jewish state of Israel. For example, Iran is mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5. Russia is mentioned as Magog in Ezekiel chapter 38 verse 2. And, of course, China, when you get over to chapter 16 of the book of Revelation, is verse 12, when it talks about the kings of the east making their way across the Euphrates River into Jerusalem. Now, all of these players are in today's activities. However, it's so interesting to note that in the end times, they will also be major players according to the prophetic word of God. David Dolan is the guy who covers the Middle East news for us. He gave us his update. He's been there for over 35 years. He knows what's going on. And the top subject that David and I talked about was a focus on the preparations to build the next temple. Let me remind you, there are two temples in the future. There's Messiah's temple. That's Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, where the passage of prophecy says the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will come back. He will build his temple, the millennial temple, or the Messiah's temple, and rule and reign from that temple forever. That's verse 13. By the way, that temple is described in Ezekiel chapters 40 to 46, 202 verses of detailed information about that coming temple. And that's not the temple that the Jewish people are preparing to build, the one that will be in the tribulation period. Winky Madad, he is a longtime friend here on Prophecy Today. We talked about the third election in one year in the state of Israel. It's historic. We couldn't remember if this ever has happened in any other nation of the world, but it has drawn the attention of the world to the reality of a nation that has come back into existence. Remember Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 7 says the Jews will be regathered from all over the world. Verse 8 says they're going to be restored as a nation. And the evidence is to the world in this third election upcoming within one year. And verse 9 and 10 talks about the re-energizing of the Jewish state of Israel so they stand up like a mighty army. 
You know, God has used human government down through the centuries, in fact, the millennia, and he's going to do it in the future as well. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17, where it says, God will put in the hearts of political leaders to make political decisions to set prophecy in place. Edomar Marcus talked about the Palestinian media. This was only evidence of a 4,000-year-old conflict starting in Genesis 25 when twin boys were born to Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau. Jacob became the Jewish people of today. Esau, the Palestinian people of today. And today, the Palestinians use their media to incite the adults and train the children to hate Jews and go forth to kill the Jews. Malachi chapter 1, Ezekiel 35, and Obadiah talks about the future as it relates to the Palestinians. They'll return. They will rebuild. The Lord will call their borders the borders of wickedness, and the Palestinians will kill the Jews and steal their land. And Obadiah, verses 15 to 18, says they will be destroyed as if they have never been. John Root is the man who covers the European Union for us. Brexit has to be the top story in the European Union. There are 28 member states right now with Brexit. That would make 27 member states. John said there are about 17 considering withdrawing from the European Union as well, and that would give 10 states left. That's the magic number. Daniel chapters 2 and 7 Talk about ten nations that will become the revived Roman Empire. We're not predicting, simply helping you to understand how the stage is being set. And then David James and I concluded our conversation looking at the top ten prophetic stories in 2019 by reminding everybody the reason you should study Bible prophecy. And then I ask David, give us some hints as to how to study Bible prophecy. You know, it's God's word which is key to understanding God's plan for the future. There's Bible prophecy in all 66 books of the Bible. One-third of the entire Bible is Bible prophecy. Remember Second Peter chapter 1. Peter wrote that he saw the transfiguration that took place on Mount Hermon in northern Israel. But he said, I now have a more sure word of prophecy, and that is the word of God. God's word is there for us to study, to understand the end times. And by the way, when you understand that, you'll recognize the next event has to be the rapture of the church. And that rapture could actually happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except Happy New Year, and let's keep looking up in this new year. The rapture could happen. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today.